Hello, my friend, and welcome or welcome back to the Live Label Free podcast. I feel like I say this every time, but I am so excited for today's episode. I'm speaking to Stephanie Michelle, who is a binge eating and body image coach. Stephanie struggled with a variety of eating disorders for decades and tried a variety of recovery approaches only to keep feeling like there was something missing. Similar to how discovering you're autistic can suddenly cause your entire life to make sense, Stephanie's integration of the nervous system and somatic experience was the puzzle piece that caused everything to click into place for her. As I quote in my book, Rainbow Girl, she too was able to turn her mess into her message. And today, you'll be learning just how powerful that message is. Nervous system regulation has been a massive part of my own healing journey, as well as those of my clients, so I just know you're going to get so much value from my conversation with Stephanie. Now, without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast, where you'll learn to let go of limiting labels and embrace your unique brain. As my mom says so beautifully in her song, which is why on this podcast, you'll learn the scientific links between neurodiversity and eating disorders giving you a deeper understanding of how you can face your fears and become truly free. Together, you and me, we will keep putting one foot in front of the other. Welcome, Steph. Thank you so much for coming on to the Live Label Free podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. As I was saying, it's uh, the first day of a new school year here for my kids. So I, I feel like a little back to school jitters, but it's an exciting day. I'm feeling good. The sun is out. The sun sun always helps. Um, for anyone not who doesn't know you, or doesn't know your podcast um, that you co-host with Sarah, who are you? What do you do? What's your story? I'm Stephanie. Michelle is, um, and I'm a binge recovery and body image coach which is slowly expanding into other realms. Um, I'm also now in training to become a somatic therapist. Um, So that's really uh, a strong focus of the way that I look at binge eating and body image right now. Um, But I'm also a certified occupational therapist, a certified intuitive eating counselor, um, and a certified health coach. So I came to this work after struggling with it myself, obviously for, for um, over two decades of having my own eating disorder and all types of eating disorders within right. that. And um, when I recovered, I was, I, I just felt like this was what I wanted to actually do. I wanted to help other people do this. And COVID just happened to align with that goal in that I um, stopped working because I couldn't go into, you know, my OT um, facility anymore. And I started an Instagram account and I started posting about my recovery and um, the thoughts I was having about binge eating and all of the intersections of these things uh, that I've mentioned with the nervous system and food and and things and, and started coaching full time. That's, that's so, you know, I am the biggest advocate for people turning their mess into their message. <laughs> um, yeah. And I believe that, you know, lived experience is the most valuable kind of training that there is. I feel like there's so many professionals out there that come across as like, I know what this problem is. Like, I know how to help you. And if you can't be helped, then then no one can help you. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just remember being in treatment for my eating disorder um, many, many years ago. And just my therapist saying, I really understand. And I just got so mad. And I was like, do you have an eating disorder yourself? And she was like, no. And I was like, well, then you do not understand. <laughs> I know. Um, and I think, you know, that you just bring such immense value to your clients and the community in that when you say you understand, obviously, everyone's story is very different. Um, but you've been where they are. And and that's so, so valuable. So um, I'm curious, because you said, you know, you've 
been through all these different kinds of eating disorders. You're a body image coach. Um, you deal with binge eating. Um, you you're also an certified occupational therapist and kind of ev- a little bit of everything. I feel like. Um, what inspired you specifically to specialize in binge eating and body image? Mm, that's a good question. Um, that was always the eating disorder that I identified with the most. So I did experience some years of anorexia, um, which then turned into binge eating, which turned into bulimia, went back to binge eating, went back to bulimia and orthorexia. Um, binge eating just seemed to be the most central part of the story uh, with the exception of in the beginning with anorexia. But but after that, it, it was such a struggle with the binge eating. And that's just where I felt the most misunderstood. And it's where I felt that the angle of treatment that I was receiving and the, and the therapies that I was receiving just weren't hitting the mark. So I feel yeah. a really strong passion for communicating what binge eating really is and and how to work with it in a way that I never saw represented in my entire you know, therapeutic in the therapeutic models that I, that I went through and I did, you know, I was in IOPs and I was in therapy and I did this and I did that. And, and I just never felt like what the heart of it was really got addressed. So I'm, I'm, I like to speak on, on behalf of that. Um, and body image was of course the undercurrent through all of it. And I struggled with that to the degree that I'm shocked that I am here to tell the tale, to be honest. I, I just, I, I just, my body and I were mortal enemies and um, learning more about body image and how that, what that really was doing for me and, and and what was really going on underneath that and all the complexities of like the reality of body image in a culture that we live in that isn't, yeah. you know, so we've got the, the inner depths of it and the personal yeah. you know, value system of it, but also the cultural one. And there's no body image therapy. Like There's not a right, body right. image, you know, area of expertise. It's really untapped. So when I started making any, you know, making headway with my body image and the fact that I can be neutral about my body to any degree is such a testament to like, to me, this is so miraculous that I, again, I felt like this is an area where we need more voices because there's just simply not enough resources or enough resources for people who are trying to do that work. Um, And I just feel the most passionately about them. So this is not to say that I don't feel passionately about orthorexia and anorexia um, or bulimia. I absolutely do. But um, binge eating and body image just seems to be my stronger pulls, I guess. Yeah. No, I really, really resonate with that in so many ways, because kind of in your introduction, you're sharing you have all these, I have this, I have this, I have this, I think as you know people that eventually become entrepreneurs we are often very multi multi passionate um it's not like we only want to do one thing um mm-hmm. and for me kind of my my story started similarly with just the eating disorder and kind of documenting my recovery around that um but then when i discovered i'm autistic it was like this piece of the puzzle was like that had been floating around and missing mm. this whole time it was like wow now this all makes so much sense and that's kind of what pulled me in the direction of bridging the gap between autism and eating disorders. Um, and I think when you find that passion, I guess, or kind of clicks into place, it's like that gut feeling of this feels right, um, mm. which I kind of do believe has to do with the nervous system um, and just like all of that kind of experiencing. Um, and again, I, I just wanted to say thank you so much for bringing the topic kind of bridging the I almost see you as like bridging the gap between binge eating and the nervous system and all these aspects that are really not being talked about because a lot of it is you know like emotional eating like you can't you can't uh deal with your mental state but it's like the body is such a holistic all-encompassing vessel almost that to say that any one problem is purely mental or purely physical it's like how have we like regressed back to like the middle ages sometimes <laughs> i'm just like yeah. this doesn't make any sense so um yeah kind of with all that said when did you start integrating you know somatic experiencing and nervous system regulation into your work because as we were just talking like it changed both of our lives so yeah. i'm really curious so interestingly i did not even know about somatic experiencing until i was recovered or to mm-hmm. the degree that we are recovered um which somatic experiencing for anyone who doesn't 
isn't aware of it. Right? It's yeah. looking at the stored, uh, it, it deals a lot with trauma, mm-hmm. but the, the stored emotions and the way that energy lives in the body, in the nervous system itself. So not, it's not just emotional, an emotional lens. It's not looking at like, um, you know, that are we really sad underneath and we just have to get to our sadness, you know, it's, yeah. it's more like, to me, it's a bit more scientific even than that, which is kind of how I got into it because I didn't like to think about anything outside of cognition. Like I, mm-hmm. I was very much, I liked, I still like to intellectualize everything. I'm much more comfortable thinking about things um, and feeling and um, emotions were, was just not an area that I felt comfortable with. And I, tended to roll my, roll my eyes out actually a lot. Um, but when I started pairing the things I had learned as an occupational therapist and the nervous system with what I felt like I was actually experiencing um, in reflection, like as I was recovering, I think it felt safer for me to look at that. Yeah. I started to make those connections and and I, and it just like, to your point, you just are like that, that makes sense. Like this is, this feels so true that I know it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you feel it. Yeah. You really, it's like some puzzle, it's like a puzzle piece clicking with another one. You're like, oh yes, of course, yeah, yeah. you know, and that was when I started looking at the role of the nervous system and thinking about my, my experiences through that lens to the point where now I'm actually getting certified to become, because I've experienced the power of doing this work yeah. and being a client myself um, in, in somatic work and working with the dysregulation of the nervous system, which still existed for me after the eating disorder left. So that was the interesting piece is that I, I was symptom free from my eating disorder, but still struggled a lot with massive anxiety. Um, and depression and anxiety had also been players in my entire experience with my eating disorder. Um, but I realized that the eating disorder recovery didn't fix those things. Whereas I always thought they would. So I started to look more at anxiety itself individually. Um, and that's when I started doing my own somatic work, um, and felt the benefits of that and felt the effect of that and continue to. So started interpreting it through that lens. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And I, I love that you kind of brought up, you know, even when I was recovered from the eating disorder, there was still this underlying untouched no pun intended (laughs) issues almost even though I I don't like to call it issues um because I I think it's just the body's response I also believe you know when we talk about trauma I always joke with with my clients how um in my own eating disorder treatment it was always in therapy like what's the deep dark hole that caused you eating disorder kind of thing um Mm -hmm. and I I have a sentence in my book that literally says um if I knew I wouldn't be here, you dumb. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we often joke about how, you know, the therapy itself, you know, when you're being invalidated and gaslit um, is the most traumatic thing of all. Mm. Um, but but another thing that I do believe is that restriction, you know, anorexia, orthorexia, mental restriction, like you and Sarah talk a lot talk about a lot on your podcast um is also trauma to the body and trauma to the nervous system and and that's why there was this one post you did um i forget the name you called or the term you came up with um that when you feel really anxious or when you feel very nervous you may want to turn to food because your body associates like anxiety or nervousness with restriction um yeah what was that regulating regulating yeah yes and the meta binge you have all these you should have a i am stephanie michelle dictionary that would be really cool (laughs) um i would totally promote that um but but yeah and then also that you kind of mentioned like even though i was recovered from the eating disorder there was still that underlying anxiety um because ultimately like the eating disorder is is a manifestation of yeah it's a symptom in and of itself i truly exactly Um, and you really do have to do that deeper work, that trust work that, because kind of backtracking, one of my favorite quotes is the opposite of anxiety isn't calm, it's trust. Um, and I think in that sense, you know, the eating disorder is, is almost like a distrust with your body. And that's where the body images use come into. Um, and that's why, you know, looking at that root, that anxiety, um, like, I feel like that's almost the puzzle piece that will help yeah. Gather all the other puzzle pieces, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And the, this is a, so my word is safety. Like that to me was the the theme that kept coming up again and again and again and again through all of this. It was like safety through the eating disorder recovery. And then even as that 
you know, was, was feeling better and getting better. And I felt so liberated by that. And that did alleviate a lot of stress in my life and a lot of anxiety in my life, but there was still this sense of, um, for, it was just a lack of feeling completely safe. And I recognize that like, it's like, that's the thing. There's something about feeling safe in my own body that this eating disorder has been covering up. And I've now seeing and I'm working with, but there's more under here. Like there's something about that, that now the anxiety is filling in for. So to me, I feel, I feel, and I don't know if everyone would feel this way, but I feel like the bottom line, the the foundation is safety and that's a nervous system job, right? Like absolutely feeling safe in our bodies. Um, whether that's physical safety from the trauma of having an eating disorder, right? Like in the, and the ways that our body has gotten terrified that we won't have enough and that we won't survive and, and what that feels like, and that we'll be restricted, um, cognitively and mentally, the way our lives get smaller and the, the lack of, um, safety in that area, the lack of safety emotionally, the lack of safety with boundaries, the lack of safety with ourselves and even feeling at home in ourselves. I mean, there's so many layers of safety to talk about truly. And I do all every day. I talk about a day. You know, there's endless material for this. Um, but to me, this is what it comes back to. So nervous system work is that to me, it's that sense of literally feeling like you can breathe out, like you can, you can release breath because it's not dangerous. Um, and that is the, that, that out breath is kind of what I refer to a lot as the feeling like I'll come back to you again and again, uh, even just yeah. now, as I'm talking, I can hear my voice got slower and, yeah. you know, I sat back in my chair, even as I'm, you know, cause I'm, I'm tapping my, I'm giving my hand to heart kind of thing. And right. it is a different sense of calm in the body, calm, trust, um, ease, joy. Sometimes, um, sometimes yeah. it's, it's fun and connection too, but it's safe. It's, it's a feeling of being safe. Um, yeah. and I think that there's a lot of ways we get pulled away from that in our lives um, and in our culture and in the way we run as humans today. Do you feel trapped in the mental hunger games? Perhaps you think about food so much of the time that you can barely concentrate on anything without being interrupted by food thoughts. Or maybe you're well aware that you're restricting and you know that you're actually really hungry, but you feel that if you actually honored your mental hunger, you'd swing to the other side and you won't ever be able to stop eating. Or maybe you resonate with this. You're really far along in your recovery and you've gained weight and maybe you're even weight restored, yet still you can't stop thinking about food. If this sounds like you, my friend, you need to watch my online training, How to Win the Mental Hunger Games. I created this training because I know how confusing it is to be surrounded by all this contradictory recovery advice. Some people are saying, food freedom, intuitive eating, you have to honor all your cravings to recover. While others are saying that you need to eat mindfully and you need to relearn what hunger and fullness is so that you can come to realize that your cravings for junk food are just trying to fill an emotional void. I mean, no wonder you're confused. I was too. But thankfully, I found my way to food freedom and my training is here to help you do the same. It teaches you exactly why you're experiencing mental hunger, regardless of your weight or size. It also explains how to know if it's really hunger and not emotional eating or binge eating. And lastly, you'll learn the number one mistake most people make that actually keeps them stuck in mental hunger. The best part of it all is that this training is 100% free. It's free 99, baby. I just love that one. All you have to do is head over to livelabelfree.com forward slash mental hunger to watch the free training, How to Win the Mental Hunger Games. Now, let's get back to today's episode. I often describe being autistic as feeling like I'm constantly in fight or flight mode. And I feel like being, you know, having... Being, you know, an anxiously wired person, being perfectionistic type A, as I feel most people who develop disordered eating are, um, we are constantly in this state of like, okay, what's the next thing? We're constantly mm-hmm. feeling this rush. And I feel like that that's that state of the nervous system of I'm not safe. I'm, you know, I can't be grounded. There's not enough time kind of thing. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's a huge thing, you know, I'm working on. And again, one of your posts recently was a reel of someone sleeping on a couch. And it was like, sometimes doing the work is just not doing anything. It's like not doing the work kind of thing. Um, yeah. And yeah, that that's something I, I mean, I realizing too, I'm talking so fast because I'm like, <laughs> I'm so enthusiastic. But yeah. at the same time, I'm like, okay, I need to breathe. Um, <laughs> uh, I am exactly the same way. Yeah. So. Um, no, I love that. And I'm just loving this conversation so much. Um, but but yeah, when it comes to, you know, safety, that, that like I believe the core word, like you said, and, and nervous system work, and, you know, it can be really difficult because we've almost become addicted to being in fight or flight mode. Yes. Uh, so for anyone listening to this who is dealing with any kind of eating disorder, whether that be, yeah, anything, because I don't even like to label them necessarily. Um, I actually recently thought of how autism is considered a spectrum. I feel like we should also just have like the eating disorder spectrum. Mm. I feel like that would be so much more applicable. Um, but anyways, I digress. Um, what What kind of tip, tips or or tip do you have um to help people feel grounded and like where would someone start in you know creating this safety for themselves so I have so many answers to this question um because one of the things that comes up even as we were talking about this is that if you told me especially from a chronic fight or flight state which I I lived in and I would say up until relatively recently Mm -hmm. and I still live in it quite a bit of time. I don't know that I'd want, I don't know that I would trust the idea of slowing down Mm -hmm. inherently, right? Like that's the whole problem is that it, you're, the reason you're running this quickly is because there is some kind of baseline. It's not a belief. It's a feeling that you can't slow down because if you do danger, you know, danger, this is not logical. This is not intellectual. No, no lion is really coming to bite it, you know, to eat us out of our cave. If we, if we rest, you know, but we feel this way, this is how it feels. And I have clients who'll say to me, sometimes we talk about this, you know, feelings about things. And they're like, Stephanie, I feel like I'm a, like, if I don't, if I do this, I'm going to die. She's like, I know I'm not going to die, but I feel like I'm going to die. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how the nervous system runs. It's very black and white. Um, very survival and, you know, and so, so one of the first things I want to say is that you don't, I don't think that healing the nervous system or, you know, regulating yourself has to be such a leap. Mm -hmm. I do run high energy and I have some fight or flight. And in some ways I have really thrived on that. (laughs) Like it's helped me and it's kind of almost part of who I am at times. Um, and so I don't, feel like I have to become some kind of Zen monk on a mountaintop right. in order to be healed. Right. And if you told me I did, I might say, I don't really want that. I'm not sure that's what I'm going for. Yeah. So maybe thinking about regulation as a little bit more meeting you where you are and finding groundedness in like just some casual moments rather than mm-hmm. thinking that you have to somehow become a, a grounded person. Like that, that has to be a job that you are perfectionistic about taking on that role. Now Um, it started for me with really small incremental doses of things that um, when I started working with a somatic therapist, she said, one of the things she said that I tell my clients is if you can only tolerate like an internal quiet or an, or groundedness or calm or slow slowness for one second, which some people can barely tolerate that long. Yeah. And that is great. That is a great place to begin. And that's where you start. And I assume when she said that, I was like, okay, great pressure's off. I don't have to right, sit right. here because if you tell me I have to do 10 minutes of silence a day or 10 minutes of grounding a day, I'm yeah. not going to do it. Maybe yeah. I will. My perfectionistic type A student will do it and then I will stop doing it. Yeah. Um, but the fact that the permission in, in just saying all, all I need to do is find a, a second of of being able to recognize I was speaking more slowly to you and sit back in my chair and just take that in for a second or two. Yeah. And then re-engage, you know, in what is, is actually where my, the work began for me and is enough. Um, I, I talk about sometimes, you know, when I was, uh, when winter was kind of fading out and spring was coming in, I was driving my car. This is just last spring. And I was, you know, driving out my street and the sun kind of came through the window of my of my car, you know, window hit my arm and that it was the first beam of, you know, sun sunlight that felt warm. Right. And I was like, ah, oh, like spring is coming and I was so cuz I love I love when the weather changes to oh, warm. Oh, me too. And, yeah. And that moment right there of just like noticing that, yeah, was not 
it wasn't gr- grand and I was probably stressed out wherever I was going, but it was this moment of ease. It was just this moment of sunlight on my arm. And, and it was just noticing that I was just exaggerating it for a few extra seconds. Um, and that's it. Just those sorts of things, just stretching something out a couple of extra seconds and paying attention to it is all you have to do. And the reason paying attention to it matters is because our brains will otherwise be like irrelevant information, irrelevant information, irrelevant information. We are paying attention to what is wrong. And that's the bias, but teaching it, it's okay to pay attention to what is okay. And what is not wrong is worthwhile. And that let's start looking at that more. Um, that's it. That was, that was enough for me to start peppering into my days over time to change things. Um, it actually did accumulate into change just this, nothing more. (laughs) Um, so I always, you know, to, to start really small and to think in smaller terms around this stuff is to me more realistic and it's slower though. I think it's, it's not like a quick turnaround. We don't see these big changes happening really quickly, but that is how somatic therapy works. That's how regulation works. It's, it's slow and steady, um, which, <laughs> well, yeah. I feel like that's how living a purposeful life works. Um, right. Cause I'm actually writing a book now about slow living and how that can actually help autistic people. Um, because mm-hmm. we are constantly in the state of fight or flight mode and, I have a sentence in that book that's like, if you're practically rushing to your deathbed, (laughs) what's the point of living? (laughs) Um, It's very blunt, but you know, how you live each day is how you live your life. So it's like, if every day you're like, I need to do this as fast as possible, there's no time, well then you're never going to have time ever in your entire life. Um, And you know, what you mentioned about start small um, and start focusing on the things that you enjoy that are positive reminds me of another one of my favorite quotes, and that is where your attention goes, energy flows, um, which I'm sure you've heard Mm -hmm. of before. Um, And you mentioned, you know, that change happens small incremental steps like that. That is change um, because the brain learns through observing our actions um and that's kind of going back to what you said like cognitively it it doesn't matter that you know there's no threat if you've been conditioning yourself to live in this way your brain is just you know going on primal mode and being like this Mm -hmm. is how we've always done it we're going to keep doing that i'm communicating with you my nervous system and we're just going to keep rushing 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 um but yeah like you're totally right to to feel safe you need to give your brain and your body evidence that there is safety and I think you do that by saying you know I can take a few seconds right now to focus on what is positive and I have noticed that massively in myself that whenever I have these really anxious racing thoughts I reframe it now to what's one good thing that happened or you know whatever because the more we focus on that those negative thoughts or feelings the more negative and stronger those feelings get um and and yeah you know also giving yourself permission to to feel the hard things um without resisting them also because it's i mean i'm gonna keep throwing quotes at you it's like that (laughs) that old i don't even know if it's confucius or buddha or one of those big people um that is you know resist pain is inevitable but like the suffering is optional the more you resist the pain like the more it becomes suffering um so yeah i mean thank you you know for sharing that especially because a majority of my audience is autistic and you know caregivers and parents of autistic people we need that slow controlled approach um and that's why this whole raging you know all in recovery thing that's been floating around the internet for years um like every autistic person i've spoken to is like that is so overwhelming to me the fact that i just need to change my entire life let go of the thing that's been providing me safety for however long um and just be like oh you know fuck that i'm just gonna do this whole eating resting it's it's not really realistic i feel like for many people because that's just not how quickly the brain nor the nervous system nor any part of the body can change <laughs> so i'm curious yes. what your thoughts are on that that's an excellent point and, and i agree and it's so interesting because when i w- first re- recovered and i put that in air quotes just because yeah. it's such a strange term um i i had i did an, an all-in approach. And I yeah. realize now that I'm like that, I, I don't know how I, 
because that even worked for me because of what you just said. But I think there was some kind of slow lead up to getting to that place, but to have worked with so many clients since then and to, and to realize that everyone works differently and now to see the nervous system and what you just said makes so much sense where it's like your, your brain can't just flip a switch and let right. go of this stuff. But what what I what comes through and what when I when you were speaking, I was like, it's it's this level of and I, I hesitate to use the word because some people I feel like sometimes it's so, so overused, but the word compassion, right? Like yeah. It's such I love a that word. No, I love, right. it. As long I love, as you it. love it. All right, we can go with it. But it's you know it's something that I think is is used a lot to the point where it's yeah. like, what does it mean anymore? Right. But there's something about saying to yourself, I make sense. Like if I can't do all in and the influencer on, you know, Instagram or YouTube is saying that that's how she recovered, you know, like, but that's not working for you. And that that's too overwhelming. Like that makes sense. And I think that should be able to apply some of the nervous system, um, the lens of that on this, again, the science of that just is so compelling. It's like, yeah, that makes a whole, that's very logical. That makes a lot of sense right. as to why you can't just jump into something. Your body just simply does not feel safe and doesn't have the evidence that it is safe. Right. And this is what we need. And that, when you think about that, you're like, yeah, well, then there's nothing wrong with me. That's just the yeah. way the body works. Like, this is just the right. way that our physiology is. Right. And that can take a lot of pressure off so that we stop being perfectionists about what we need to do to recover and the right way to do that and the right way to be thinking and the right way to be regulating and grounding. And, you know, like that there's this, all this pressure built up so that we're not able to actually listen to ourselves around like, what do I need? How do I integrate all this information I'm getting and apply it to myself in a way that actually realistically makes sense for me without thinking I'm failing? You know what I mean? And I think that's a lot of what I see now and work with people on for people who come to me and say, I've been working on this for a really long time based on a lot of social media posts and things, right. you know, that I've been absorbing, which is wonderful. I and mean, there's so much education we can get out there, yeah. but there is usually this undercurrent of I'm doing it wrong or I'm, yeah. I'm supposed to be doing it that way. And mm-hmm. I keep running in circles. And it's usually this, what happens is it's coming to what, what do you need? What is your system need? And that's the part that I think we really need to, like, that's an art to listen to and Mm -hmm. to really understand and, and to have compassion for, um, that to me is, is the way that I'm approaching and the way that I think about most things now, including things for myself around, like, how does this make sense in my context? Not what Susie's doing, but like what I'm doing and what I need. Yeah. How does that make sense for me? Yeah. No, I mean, again, so much to unpack here. First of all, love that you're using the term make sense because that was pretty much the key term throughout my entire eating disorder especially as an autistic person was I I believe that my eating disorder was a manifestation of underlying undiagnosed autism um and for me you know food and exercise needed to make sense and that just became my eating disorder and no one understood that I was like no you don't get it like I can't eat something else right now. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, when I be- when I discovered I'm autistic, it allowed me to stop asking what's wrong with me. And it allowed me to start asking, what do I need? Which was exactly what you just alluded to. Um, and I really like that you kind of piggybacked off the all in and you kind of came up with the term compassion um, because interestingly enough i think the label all in the moment you say to yourself i'm going all in is actually the very moment you're giving yourself compassion the very moment you're giving yourself permission for it to be messy for it to not to be perfect so i think inherently the label all in is meaningless just like any other word right um i'm sure you sure you've read echo tolly's book um like a new earth and he talks about you know how can we uh, deduce any complex being to a mere name or a mere, mm. you know, gender or whatever these kind of things. Um, and that's kind of how I see all in too is you see these people on Instagram saying, Oh, the gym is saved my life. Going all in saved my life. Um, but it's like that external thing outside of you did not save your yeah. life. You putting in the work saved your life. Um, and I think we hide behind labels because we need something tangible. We need to say, that's what it was. I know. Um, 
But I think, you know, like, like you said, with the word compassion and giving yourself permission for it to be messy, I think that is why all in all in works for so many people is because that's the moment they say, I'm allowed to do this my way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's so true. And, and this is the double edged sort of social media in some ways, because I think some of these concepts are becoming labels. Yeah. And for example, I recovered before I was really heavily invested in social media. Yeah. So a lot of this, I never knew, I never called it all in. That's not a term right. that I knew, right. but it, that's what it was by virtue of what you're saying. Like I, I came to this place of saying, I just, I'm ready to, I'm ready to be messy. I'm ready. I, I understand. And this was something I came to rather than having had it told to me and taught to me, because I wonder if that would have felt different if I felt like I was doing this thing on the out that the outside was telling me to do. Yeah. Um, even, even, you know, last week on my podcast, we talked about anti-diet as a label and as an identity. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a, a lot of the, these, these concepts that can be so helpful can get a little bit, if not corrupted, they can become a little bit taken outside of ourselves when they become labels of things. And then they become expectations and they become rules. And then they become, then there's this right and wrong way. And, and I think that that's, it's like, we have to keep coming up with new terminology to describe what it is that we mean um, and what is actually is happening. But I think it is still this touching base back with self and that, you know, whatever's going on out here, how much are we attaching to the label of that thing versus the, the ideas and the, and the embodied sense of that thing, you know, to just keep coming back to that, what it means for you. Like who are you at your core? And yeah, that's kind of why I named my whole brand live label free. (laughs) Um, because it was like throughout the whole entire, my, my youth. Oh, she's such a perfectionist. She's so this, she's so that, oh, she has very anxious nature. And then it was like, oh, now you have anorexia. Now you have depression. Oh, now you also have OCD. Oh, what's this? You're too complex. You can't be helped. You're just going to have to, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. (laughs) That was for me. I cannot be all these labels anymore because it's coming back to that feeling I was like this is not me like I am me and I will always be me and I think almost that inner like totally not logical totally not cognitive awareness that was my nervous system I call it the autistic inner fire that was like you're allowed to just be you without any labels um and I know that you know autism and Everything we've been talking about, you know, labeling something as binge eating or binge or regular eating or all these terms, like, I believe that there are two types of labels. Like, there are labels that restrict us and limit us, like all these diet terms, anti-diet, intuitive eating, like, when you use them in, in certain restrictive ways, they will restrict you. Um, But, you know, when you see them for what they are, merely a label, merely a way that us humans can communicate with each other, um, and you don't tie your identity to them, yeah. that's when they become functional. Um, I mean, we wouldn't have met if you weren't using certain words, <laughs> right? On right, Instagram. right. Um, be, and in that sense, like they, they help us function better, but I think it's so important, you know, that we're able to distinguish when we do feel these external pressures to behave or be a certain way. And I loved the half an English muffin serving size thing you posted on your story yesterday. That's another label that we can just observe it for what it is and be like, mm-hmm. that's interesting. And I am going to have two servings of this, whatever that means, because that's what my body needs. Not because I'm weird, not because I'm bad, but that's what my unique body needs. (laughs) Have you read my book, Rainbow Girl, yet? If not, you're definitely going to want to grab your very own copy by visiting the link livelabelfree.com forward slash rainbow girl. But you may be wondering, what is my book even about? Well, let me tell you. Rainbow Girl, My Journey to Living Life in Full Color is a memoir of my entire journey. I share what it was like growing up undiagnosed autistic, how this led to the development of an eating disorder, and all the steps I took to fully recover and become label-free. The feedback on Rainbow Girl has been so incredible already. All the messages, emails, and reviews truly warm my heart and illustrate how we need more stories of lived experience in the autism and eating disorder recovery space. Just listen to what Lou, who you may know as neurodivergent underscore Lou on Instagram, has to say about the book. 
Rainbow Girl is an incredibly gripping read that exceptionally captures the autistic experience of eating disorders, which is so rarely discussed. While reading, it felt like I was simultaneously walking with Livia through her darkest and most vulnerable times, but also that through her experiences, she was guiding me, sharing the light, perseverance, hope, and joy. So much of Rainbow Girl resonates with my own story and experiences as a neurodivergent individual. Livia's book highlights an empowering and authentic message that I will forever carry with me. If you want to learn how to free yourself or an autistic loved one from an eating disorder, grab your copy of Rainbow Girl today by visiting the link livelabelfree.com forward slash rainbow girl. So again, that's livelabelfree.com forward slash rainbow girl. Now let's get back to today's episode. Speaking of, of messy and, and all the things, um, Something that autistic people really struggle with, um, which often leads to binge eating, is um, is just executive functioning difficulties, like making a meal, plating a meal, doing groceries, planning what you're going to make, actually mm. making it, cleaning up, kind of all the aspects that go into eating can be really, really overwhelming. Um, so how do you feel that that specifically impacts, you know, I guess, how do you feel like the nervous system is related to that? Um, and what would be like a tip, um, again, like a very low hanging fruit that you could give our audience? It's a great question. Um, the way that I think it's interesting because you're speaking about the overwhelm of plating food and, and putting food on. And I, I've, <laughs> oh, I wish I could remember the exact example because yesterday was something like the most trivial quote unquote task, the most yeah. like an easy thing to do. I, I said to my husband who, um, is very supportive of all of this, these things and all of my idiosyncrasies. You know, I said, I forget what it was, but it was kind of like, if, if I don't have, if this one barrier is in the way, it's, this isn't going to get done, even though yeah. he's like, well, can't you just do that? You know, remove the barrier, so to speak. Right. And do the thing. I'm like, nope, no, I can't. It's too overwhelming then. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, it has to be a direct route. Um, so overwhelm, I, I, relate to a lot as an, an anxious person, not to use a label, but to communicate yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what I was finding was that in that fight or flight state that I was mostly living in and still sometimes live into a degree, um, I, I don't have as much access to executive functioning. Like the, a simple task is incredibly overwhelming when I'm fast and mm -hmm. a little bit vigilant. And when you're, you know, in that state, you're a bit more, you have more primal brain going on. Yep. So I have compassion for this now. And it's kind of like when primal brain is on to some degree, I am going to find easy things hard. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to, do what other people do right. as easily. And so I need to know this about myself, What whatever the root cause, whether it's um, ADHD or autism or um, anxiety or, you know, whatever that there, it, there is this barrier to executive functioning. Yeah. That's not because you're not intelligent or because you're, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's because of the nervous system right. and the access we have to, 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 to using it because the executive functioning part of the brain is the most developed part of our nervous system. There's three parts. Right. Um, and so in order for us to, to use executive functioning, the other parts have to be a little quieter. Mm -hmm. uh, and so to me, it's like, okay, how do I quiet the, my, my thought, my, the, the primal part of my brain a little more so that I can move into my executive functioning and perform a task. Sometimes I can, and sometimes I can't. Yeah. The first thing I would say is like recognizing that sometimes you can't and that that's okay. I mean, it's frustrating, but it's not your yeah. fault. Like it's not a character issue. It's more of a right. nervous system dysregulation. Yeah. Um, so as, a, as far as like a low hanging fruit and, and how like the first ways that I might start thinking about that, honestly, I don't know how corny this sounds, I guess, but so, you know how, when I was talking to you and I, my voice slowed down and I yeah. close my eyes and I'm doing it now and I can, I can see that. So I'll rule a sense out. Um, I rule out my vision most often. Sometimes I do have ear um, noise canceling earphones too, that uh -huh. I'll sometimes use to rule out the auditory sense, but usually it's my eyes and I'll close my eyes and I will slow down 
the thoughts and the voice and the breath and my pace. Cause I'll also a lot of times be pacing a lot and I will just notice the speed of everything. Yeah. And I close my eyes cause it makes it easier some, for some reason to slow. And I will give myself like skin to skin contact usually here on my chest for just a couple of seconds. And that is all, <laughs> this is yeah. it. That is all I take. Um, and if it doesn't work, it means I'm not, I just can't access that. And for me, I just kind of like, okay, that's where I am right now, but sometimes I can, and I can slow that down just a little bit. And when I can get just a little bit slower, I can feel more, cl- I feel the executive functioning sort of coming up. There's a little bit more access, yeah. um, where then I can say, okay, what is my next step? Okay. You know, and then I might move right into speed and then I might get overwhelming again. But I think the practice of just this literally one, two, three is sometimes enough to get me to the next step or to figure out like, how do I cut down on the steps needed to just get the job done? Um, and in that there is empowerment because even if you do that once or twice, you realize you can do that and that you have some influence on that. Yeah. Um, It's evidence that you're capable of accessing that. Yeah. 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 And even you just doing that and closing your eyes, like, I felt the calm too. And we're like thousands of miles away. Yeah, um, isn't that cool? <laughs> just, uh, yeah, fairly cool. Because we're in the East Coast, are you? I, I'm in New Jersey. New Jersey. Okay, yeah, because I, I grew up in Boston. So oh. um, I'm actually moving back next year. So very excited. Um, And if you and um, Sierra ever do another US event, I'm totally a- attending because I wanted to come to your Ireland one. Um, yes. Except that's my literally my mom's birthday. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> we will do others. We, we will have more US locations. But yeah, I mean, I, I love that, you know, how you just said, what what do I need right now? You know, just to slow down to access that again. And also, again, giving yourself compassion. If it doesn't work, that's okay. Moving on. Um, But then you try again. And when it does work eventually, and it'll start working more often. I've definitely noticed that within myself. Um, You gain more confident in your capabilities. And that goes in all aspects of life, right? I mean, I always give the very simple example of a little child learning how to read. They don't suddenly know how to read. You know, they they practice and then they make a mistake and then they're corrected. And sometimes they don't get the word or the pronunciation right. But they try again. And the more and more they try again, the easier it becomes. And who knows, one day they'll be a writer themselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's fun. I, I mentioned that because when I was in first grade, I, I had to go to this like special reading and writing class because I apparently didn't know how to read or write, even though now looking back with the autistic lens, I think I just didn't want to engage because I didn't feel safe. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Because, and because now people are like, wow, you're such a good writer. And I'm like, I don't, well, when I was 10, I was apparently an illiterate little child. <laughs> so, yeah. um, because I feel safe now. And I, I mean, even with writing, I, writing my first book was so anxiety provoking for me. But now, you know, after writing, 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 making it my daily practice, um, similar to, you know, nervous system regulation and, you know, incorporating these techniques into your life, um, you become more confident as a person. And now I'm writing my fourth book and it's like, not even, of course, there's still that fear of failure because, I mean, you can only succeed if you are willing to face the possibility of failure. But at the same time, I really learned and, and given my brain evidence, like this does become easier. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, I think that's a, a really great place to wrap up is it will get better. Um, It will become easier. Do you have any last um words of wisdom for our listeners? Um, I don't know if this makes people feel worse or better, but I, I don't know that it gets talked about enough when we're talking about success or things working, um, that that can actually be years in the making, not weeks or months. Um, and especially with this idea of slowing down and regulation of the nervous system, that is not a four week fix or (laughs) a, even, even like I, that's something that I that you can dedicate years to and that that's so like again I don't know if it makes you feel better or worse for me it makes you feel better I feel like makes me feel better too that. makes me <laughs> like, feel better too <laughs> oh it's like yeah. I'm just fine I'm not behind yeah. um but that to to sort of approach it from the viewpoint of this will take me some years to work through and you'll feel progress yeah. within those years and there's moments of feeling yeah. like like wow this is working for me but that you're not expected to like you know 
get this in a month. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That it's something much you can take your time with. I think it's actually better suited (laughs) for our change actually. So I always like to mention that um, and to the point where I'm like, I need to make a course on this stuff, but it would have to be two years long. And I don't know that I'm going to get anybody to sign up for that. (laughs) Well, you've got, you've got one client, Stephanie, (laughs) you've got one. Um, No, I, I mean, I, I so relate to that. Like every day I have these ideas like, oh, I need to do a course about that and write a book about this. And, but it's like, but there's not enough time. And then you have to like focus on what's most important. Um, But I mean, it really does make me feel better if that's any solace um, in, in that it does take years. And I mean, I in my author bio in my book it says um Livia is a lifelong loner. Yeah. Um uh, like yeah. that's how I identify myself as because like I learned about this whole nervous system somatic re- regulation stuff like two years ago. And I still find myself in fight or flight mode every single day. And yeah, like sure. okay, Livia, you're allowed to calm down. And it doesn't always work. And sometimes I do, you know, turn to what people would label as unhealthy behaviors but i think that this isn't about getting it it's not about getting it perfect it's not Mm. always about being calm because nervous system regulation is about being able to flexibly shift between the states exactly that's (laughs) such an important point yeah it's not about always being in perfect executive functioning state like that that's be something physiologically very wrong with you. <laughs> yes, that's not the goal. Exactly. It's yeah. about the flexibility of being able to move between and navigate that more efficiently and like more peacefully for yourself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, Steph, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, work with you? Um, because again, you are such a valuable being in this world. And I'm Aww, so, so grateful you. to know you. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Um, thank you. I um, I have a website. I am stephaniemichelle.com and I'm on Instagram all the time. That's my primary social media resource. Um, I am Stephanie Michelle and I also have a podcast, uh, Life After Diets that I co-host with Sarah. Yeah. Highly recommend that yeah. podcast, everyone. Um, and I will leave all the links in the show notes below as well. Um, so yeah, thanks again so much, Steph, for coming on the podcast and everyone listening. I will chat with you in the next episode. Bye-bye for now. Just one foot in front of the other and you'll see around the corners this podcast has been recorded by your host Liv this podcast has been edited by my small but mighty Live Label Free team and the beautiful song One Foot in Front of the Other that you were now listening to was written and recorded by my beautiful mom, Louise Alexandra. I am so grateful for my team and everyone who supports Live Label Free. Together, we are always stronger.